The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Archie, it is I, Captain First Age from Gaming from the First Age podcast, and I be listening to your roleplayer rescue, especially your 13 rules of the Games Master. I have a question for you, Che. Be they not more a bit like, well, guidelines, really? (laughs) Perhaps they are. But if you see them as rules and maybe you bind yourself too tightly to them, well, it's hard going. Heavy weather and difficult seas there and might lead to a little bit of the, well, dissatisfaction. Treat them as guidelines, perhaps, and, well, maybe you'll sail on simpler waters. Good rules, though, nevertheless. Sail well, my friend. Sail well. Jay's gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack I want to come back to the dice Whoa, oh, oh, oh. I think I need some good advice I need a role-play rescue Oh, yeah I need a role-play rescue Oh, yeah Oh, yeah Hello, Rescuers. I'm Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Today is the third instalment of call-ins relating back to episode 2 in which I shared my 13 GM rules. In episode 2 I wanted to explore the rules that I have over a lifetime of gaming and role-playing constructed around the concept of being a game master. As I stated at the beginning of that episode these rules are all open to challenge and in fact are already undergoing challenge. While my thinking has already evolved The perspectives of the community have been hugely helpful to me personally and, I believe, by extension they can be helpful to others. I think this will be the final instalment from the first batch of call-ins, but thank you to everyone who's called in over the past month or more, not least, of course, Captain First Age there at the top of the show. Now, I'm going to work through them one by one, much as the messages allow, and present comments on each rule in turn, picking up from the end of... Well, the last episode, episode 8, which I think we got to the end of Rule 4. It's likely I'm going to comment on some of the ideas that are shared, but I'm not going to script those, so anything I do say from now on is completely off the cuff. This is Season 8, Episode 9, Unpicking Webster's GM Rules, Part 3. I have no argument with the idea of the player sovereign over their character, although I do think there are certain spell effects and different things, mind control, um, you know, things like that, charm spells, where it's okay for the GM to say, you know that person you didn't like a minute ago? Now they're your best friend and you'll do anything you can to protect them and then let the player run with that. So I think the player should still have those decisions to make, but it's okay to, to, to you know, it, when they're under those kind of spells or those kind of effects, to nudge them in the right direction. 
Greetings, this is Mason from Lakeside, California, and I couldn't help but be intrigued by your last podcast about the rules of GMing. And the one that really stuck with me is that the player is sovereign over their character, which is very eloquently put and something that I 100% agree with. I think it needs to be expanded upon, though, because the character is not sovereign over the player. And by that I mean players shouldn't reject the premise of a game. If you are running a published adventure, they should try their best not to disrail it. Taking in-character actions that are disruptive to the game or other players, which includes the GM, using the age-old excuse, that's what my character would do, I think is poor player behavior. In the end, players and the GM should be on the same team, supporting each other to create a positive gaming experience for everyone at the table and that means supporting the premise of what the GM has laid out for the adventure of the night. Call-ins from Jason Connolly and Mason there at the top of the show. Thank you both for calling in on Rule 5, the player is sovereign over their character. And I really love what Mason had to say, actually, um, particularly. First, I just want to talk about Jason. Jason, you're absolutely right. Of course, in certain games, there are certain effects that stop a player from doing the action they would want to do for their character, whether it's a disadvantage in GURPS that kind of you know, rears its head, you know, like you're greedy or something and you fail that check to, to resist that, or whether it's something more, uh, you know, directly in opposition to the player's will, like being charmed in D&D. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are moments. But you know what? I still think I would prefer to allow the player to decide how their character will act. And uh, I really don't like imposing that as the GM. But maybe that's just my taste. I did, however, like what Mason said about it being the other way around, that uh, there is a requirement really for the player to you know, respect what the GM is putting in front of you on the night. And I like that. You know, I like that statement that the character is not sovereign over the player. I guess what you're alluding to is it isn't really good play, isn't really very nice to turn around and say, well, that's just what my character would do, when you know full well it's going to annoy someone else at the table. So thanks for that. Game on. Why should the GM prepare to be handled there? Why should the GM be prepared to handle any choice a character makes? Actually, I kind of think you should or you should be able to spitball it. But it's okay for the GM to say, hey, I wasn't ready for you guys to do that. You took me off guard. Let's take a five-minute break so I figure out how I'm going to deal with this, right? If if they're there in the shop and they do something really crazy, you know, I'm going to take the shopkeeper's wife hostage unless they give me the armor for free. Well, I mean, roll with it, right? It's probably not going to turn out for them turn out well for the players once city guard shows up and everything else shows up but you know i i think if you can can react and improvise you probably can do this but it's totally okay to say hey i, I need a little bit of time to formulate how i'm going to respond to that why should the gm never fudge the dice Okay, that's hard for me to say because <laughs> I, I do believe you shouldn't fudge the dice. I don't think either the players or the GM should fudge dice rolls. And I think if you commit to making a die roll, that die roll needs to have a real effect in the world. Because if you're going to make a roll and say, oh, I don't like that, I'm going to roll again, then the die rolls don't mean anything. That said, you have, this, depending what it is, you have some control over it. It's a wandering monster counter. 
and you roll a dragon, maybe the dragon's just flying overhead. It doesn't mean the players have to fight it at that moment. Why should the monster opposition always act in a rational, rational and tactically understandable way? It, I'm curious why you would think that, especially when you're talking about strange creatures or aliens or maybe mentally unstable people. All these kind of things don't act in ways that we don't necessarily understand. So if you're facing an opponent that's that's unbalanced mentally or from a different dimension or just a totally different culture, they may act totally different than you would expect. That said, the GM probably shouldn't have the monsters act stupidly and the opposition act stupidly just to let the players win. So there there is a, a kind of a fine line here. All right, getting towards the end here, I'm going to comment on 9 and 10 together. The monsters or opposition should always act rational in a rational and tactically understandable way, and the game world needs to make sense to everyone at the table. I think that the monsters or opposition should act in a way appropriate to them, but that's not necessarily a rational and tactically understandable way. Um, and a really good example of this is in... Um, well, in basically like ancient or medieval battles, one of the things that happens is that most of the, the kills, most of the deaths on either side happen when one side routes. So rationally, it makes sense to stand and fight for as long as you can. But of course, it that's not how people behave. At some point, one side is going to start to run and then the other side can run them down as individuals instead of fighting as a formation. Um, and so that kind of leads to a question about, um, and you might argue that, well, it's also rational to run because if you're the first one running, then you're going to be faster than the other guys who are running and so be less likely to get killed. And so this is a situation I think where there's sort of multiple rational options um, but ultimately it's about what's appropriate. The way people are going to behave is essentially appropriate to themselves. Um, and I think this also applies to interactions with NPCs that NPCs who are always kind of, if we, all your NPCs behave in the always rational way, um, they're going to feel, uh, boring and, and a little lifeless essentially, um, Anyway, and that goes back to the game world needs to make sense to everyone at the table because I think there is a lot of room for things that are um, unexplained is the wrong term, but uh, there's I think there's room to say to the players, accept the mystery, right? That you should accept what is happening without necessarily being able to understand it rationally, especially in like a fantasy world. Um, but I think it's, I think, again, I don't think these are like bad ideas as goals necessarily, but I think hard and fast rules makes them into something that they shouldn't be, if that makes sense. That, um, the goal, you know, the monsters would uh, try to act in a tactically understandable way, but they aren't necessarily going to, if that makes sense. They're going to act 
based on their particular, you know, values or concerns or anything like that. And in the same way, the the game world is not necessarily going to be um, consistent with everybody's expectations because everybody's going to have different expectations of it. And so making sense to everyone at the table is more a matter of um, having the kind of acceptance from the players. And I think you do have the level of acceptance from the players that you need that some things are not going to uh, work according necessarily to their preconceived expectations. They're going to have to um, come in and meet the... uh, They're going to have to actually um, adjust their expectations and their sense of reality and all that sort of stuff based on what they encounter, not expect what they encounter to automatically fit their expectations essentially and i think that's something that your players are willing to do and it takes weight off of you because then if you make a a kind of sensibility mistake that's just a detail of the world that's not a failure on the part of the dm right anyway that's sort of my thoughts about that why does the game world have to make sense to everybody at the table does it have to make sense as in they totally understand what's happening and, and can apply logic to it? Or does it have to make sense as far as the players comprehend what the GM is describing? Or at least comprehend, understand what the GM is saying? So if we're playing in an apocalyptic future and they find a piece of equipment and they don't know how, what it does or what it is, as long as they're understanding what the GM's describing as far as the shape and the color and the texture, I think they understand the world. I don't think they need to understand every nuance or little thing. But if we're talking about, you know, why the world is set up the way it does and why governments do the things they do, yes, no, I mean, a lot of people in today's world don't have any clue how the world world, yeah, world works. Great call, Inze. And you got to hand it to Jason Connolly for calling on every single rule. So thanks, guys, so far. I'm not going to comment much. I just wanted to say thank you. Um, All good stuff. And what I'm hearing so far is, Webster, be a bit more flexible, will you? I hope you are enjoying this episode of Roleplay Rescue. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. You can also find the Roleplay Rescue page on Facebook, join our RPR group on MeWe, or follow me at UbiquitousRat on Twitter. If you want to support the show, you can join the Roleplay Rescue Patreon and gain access to weekly Dungeon Masters Diary episodes and early access to every episode of the main show. Patrons also gain access to the Roleplay Rescue Discord. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com slash rpgrescue. All the links mentioned here are in the show notes. Thanks in advance for your support. Why should the players expect you to answer any question they ask? That's nuts. Now, it it is, well, I take that back. As long as an acceptable answer is, I don't know the answer to that, I'll research and get back to you, then it's okay for the players to accept that. I I do think that's an expectation of some players that the GM is going to be knowledgeable enough to answer any question, but I don't think a GM needs to worry about that. I think, I'm not sure, let me look it up. It, or let me get back to you on that is a totally acceptable answer and one that any rational person should accept. 
All right, so we're getting a good way through this now. There are basically just two more rules to deal with, 12 and 13. Got quite a bit to say from four different callers, I think. So let's get on with it. Hi, Che. Emil here, calling in about your GM rule number 12. Players expect to be challenged, but also expect to win in the end. This is the one that probably resonates the strongest with me because I feel this tension every time I run a session. Like you, I want the player characters to succeed, and I want them to win, and I want them to have a fulfilling story. So my question to you to help you work through this rule is what is more important? A logical world that reacts in a logical manner, or a bespoke story for the player characters? If you were playing in your own game, would you be as upset with your character dying as you imagine your players would be with their characters dying? Thanks for an excellent episode, and I hope this was helpful for you. That's a great question, Emil, and I'll be honest with you, I don't really know the answer. And I think it might depend a bit on the game, actually. I know that if I have a character, I tend to hold them loosely in the early sessions, and I often don't make it much past early sessions in games, because I'm pretty flaky. So, I don't know, maybe uh, it doesn't matter so much to me if a character dies, but I think if I was playing for any length of time, then it would. And that's what I feel bad about, I think, when people lose their characters. that I don't know the level of attachment they have, and I don't like ripping it out of their hands. Um, but yeah, it's a great question, man. Thanks for it. It's good stuff. Mm. Hi, Jay. It's Barry here. Here's your challenge for Rule 12 in your 13 rules. Um, the one about you know, the players expect you to challenge them, but ultimately let them win. So here's the question. What do you mean by winning? Um, and what do the players feel is winning? I guess that's my challenge to that question, that in your head, is winning for them always defeating the big bad, always solving the quest, etc. But is that what the players ultimately want? Is there, and it might be, I'm not saying it isn't, but this is a challenge to it. What to them is winning? What, what are they as a social interaction out of the role-playing game really seeking to get? because you know unless we're talking about tpk end of adventure where they all feel it's a bit of a letdown after you know months years of play whatever then yeah they might not feel like they won but you know if it's about moving the game forward and the story forward and again this is about those conversations i guess with the players about what they want then it might not matter if they defeat the big bad it might be a case that you know they can't stop the ritual and they have to like you know run away but then it summons an evil demon through and then they have to fight the demon and i think it's about and this is probably easier with non-published adventures and pre-published adventures that you know could it be that they could quote unquote lose the adventure bit by not stopping the bad guy but that moves the story on to the next phase and therefore the story carries on and therefore your players won't feel like they're losing and is that is that the hang-up is it is it that you feel if they fail to, you know, clear out a bandit camp, if they feel, fail to, you know, stop the necromancer from bringing the evil Lord of the Dead to the world, if Tiabat has been summoned, just to bring a 5e example in there, that that's there for the end of the campaign and they failed, or is that an opportunity for them to run away, to now live as resistance fighters fighting off the tyranny of Tiabat as she now tries to take over the world and, you know, forces her dominion and everything. And, and that's kind of what I'm thinking. It's a bit like, you know, what is winning and what is losing? What, what would make it a non-fun campaign for them? Them. Um, and therefore, is it a bit again about finding out from your players 
that addressing the stuff at session zero and i don't know would that help you would it help if the player said actually we don't give a monkeys if we occasionally fail and complete the quest as long as it's not oh well games over pack at the bags we're not playing this anymore if it's more a case that the story keeps evolving from that point of view because to me not that I play very often these days, but as a player, that's what I would like. I would like to feel like there was a chance of losing because I guess, and this goes back to your player agency, player sovereignty thing, a bit like, you know, if you're always going to let me win all the time, although I probably still play and enjoy it, to be perfectly honest, I don't mind knowing I'm still always going to win. The fact is that there is, there's no risk there. There's that risk reward thing. And this goes to rule 13 when we talk about that in a bit as well about like, you know, if there's a risk that I will not defeat the big bad, then it's more of a reward if I do. Now, as a GM, you might allow people to win all the time, but they don't know that you're letting them win all the time, so it won't be an issue. But I think you need to understand that, you know, that possibility of not defeating someone makes that victory much sweeter when it does happen. And so again, it's about thinking about, you know, in your head, there might be this rule that you've got to let the players win because otherwise they're not having fun and they won't come back. But actually, as long as they know they can still come back and try again or there's some other way they can then advance the story and still get one over on this person maybe they will still, you know hopefully they'll still want to keep playing i mean i guess the balance to that is that if if that always happens if they're never winning then you know again quote unquote winning then you know they will feel a bit frustrated but i guess you know now and again it going wrong for them isn't a bad thing because then when they do succeed they know there was a chance they could have cocked it up and they didn't use my language <laughs> you know what i mean so so I guess the question there is, what do we mean by winning? What do the players feel would be winning? And, you know, would that help you kind of let go of it a little bit if you understand that, you know, maybe as long as the the adventure keeps going forward when stuff goes wrong, that they're not really losing the game. It's still carrying on. There's still that chance that they will get something out of it. I think this is a difference to my mind sometimes between a role-playing game and a board game. So obviously with a board game, which is sometimes easier. And I think to my near brain, sometimes it is easier. We've got this predefined win condition where, you know, you build your track across Europe if you're playing Ticket to Ride as we did at Christmas. And therefore you just win if you get enough tickets, etc. clear and simple. Whereas in a role-playing game, you know, there isn't always a defined end. It could go on for years. It could be done, you know, a quick session where you're just trying to clear out a particular dungeon and stop one particular thing from happening. But, you know, you have the option that it doesn't have to end where you originally thought it was going to end. It's about whether you're able to flexibly make that change there's still some way for progressing that plot you know and like i said keeping the player still engaged that way again don't know if there's any help whatsoever but just want to put that out there and see if that's any use as a challenge to your thoughts around that rule why should the players always win i have a big problem with the idea that you should challenge the players but let them win i think you should challenge the players and i do believe i i don't think players should be put in unwinnable situations off the bat, I think if players put themselves in unwinnable situations, that's the player's fault. If a group of first-level characters decide they're going to charge in the dragon's lair and smack smog on the nose, that's not the GM's fault. And if those players get roasted alive, the GM should not feel bad about that. All right, this is probably the last one. I've been thinking a lot about 12 and 13. Players expect you to challenge them, but ultimately to let them win, and it's wrong to kill the player characters. Um, I'm not entirely sure what to say about these ones. Um, I don't think it's a hard and fast rule that it's wrong to kill the player characters, but I'm a big believer in the idea that... um, not in a kind of like 
uh, well, you know, player DMs don't kill players. Players kill themselves with poor play. Uh, but I do think that there's room for, like, the player chooses to make, like, a last stand or something like that, and that that becomes, you know, part of their creating the the story and the narrative that we're all a part of and that that is really not the same as a sort of ignominious end killed by a goblin arrow in the middle of dungeon delving when there's nothing really at stake aside from a little bit of treasure um so i don't know about wrong to kill player characters maybe wrong to have um I don't know, meaningless death, almost. That's not quite right either, but I've been thinking about it. Anyway, and then the same thing with challenges that I've been thinking about. Why does challenge, does challenge, or or rather, why does challenge have to be combat or related to that? What could we do in interesting ways with challenge to make it into something kind of more... Um, not necessarily kind of related to just, you know, killing goblins or anything like that. Why not, you know, challenge the players to engage with the other world? The I know you're really big on that idea. What if that is the the sort of challenge that the players face is not trying to be tactical and make these kind of correct tactical decisions, but to actually um meaningfully engage with the the world that we're creating together and all that sort of stuff so i don't know i'm i've been thinking a lot about these last two in particular just because they seem they seems similar to some of the other ones i think that there's like a a good instinct there but that it's not quite a hard and fast rule if that makes sense so, I don't know. I'm going to think more about it and maybe call in again. Who knows? Why is it wrong to kill player characters? Actually, let's say, I mean, we can fall back on the idea the GM doesn't kill characters, dice kill characters, right? So, if a player makes a dumb decision when they're given the information otherwise, I... I don't like the idea of just traps and save or die things that the players would never have any way to figure out. But if the player has clues, hey, this might be a lethal situation, and they continue to do it, or they do something stupid, or it's in combat and it's just the dice go against them, well, characters die. That's that's why we have character generation rules. They can make new ones. Hi, Jay. Just calling in about your rules of um, GMing role-playing that you put on. And you said to bring in some challenge. So I'm going to challenge rule number 13 about you shouldn't kill the player's characters. I think your exact wording was it's wrong to kill the player characters. Now, I think there's two sides to that a little bit. It's wrong to set out to kill the player characters. I think that's a key thing. I think, I mean, it depends on how you feel about it yourself. The thing, the problem here is assuming that a character, player character death is a devastating ending, upsetting situation for the player. And that is potentially a situation. It has to be said that some players do get very touched to their characters. And so it could be quite, quite negative for them. But I think you also have to be aware of the fact that sometimes players don't mind um, 
and I guess it's not so much not minding. I guess it's more a case of, you know, I remember played a game and a player character died and they had the option of re resurrecting them, but actually they didn't want to because they wanted to roll up something different because actually they're a bit bored of the character class and the race they were playing. So in actual fact, the death of that character became a positive thing for that player. It actually allowed them to have more fun in the game because they got to make something else because they played it for all realized they weren't too keen in it. Now, you know, I won't get too much into some of the other aspects of that, but I think the problem there is that the key there is that, you know, the player character dying wasn't really this massively, you know, a game ending event for the player. The player was actually fairly happy with it. They understood why it happened, etc. Um, it's going to be one of those things where I think, and, you know, I say this all the time and I hate kind of saying it because I feel like, you know, it's probably been said a lot, which is it's going to depend on your players because some players will be very put out by a character death and some don't mind. I think some of the older school players out there who've played some of the more deadly games will understand when a character dies, that's just what happens in the game. There'll be some who, you know, playing some of the newer systems or some of the more narrative games will be used to having narrative control over their player character's death and not the character not dying without their implicit, explicit agreement to that sort of process. And so I think it's kind of those things about you know, whether the players actually really mind. I found some of the really, really good games have been where a player character has died early on in the campaign because I've then kind of got out of my way, if I'm being honest, not to kill players too much after that point because to me, the fear the character will die is better than lots of characters dying. I know people play the old school games think, oh, characters die all the time, that's just what happens. I think to my mind, where the character death thing kind of fits in really well is that if your players realize that you as a GM aren't going to let the characters die, they become a bit reckless and they can be a bit daft and they can start doing very silly things. Um, and also they start making very tactically unsound moves. So there was a real thing about if they fear the characters dying, then they start to play, in my opinion, their characters a bit more realistically. So GURPS is a good example of that when we play it because there's not many hit points in GURPS. I find that because they realized when they play it that I will let them go into negative hit points, I will make them make health rolls to live, that they then start, and those rolls have been out in the open, that they've then, you know, become a bit more wary about jumping into combat, which is kind of the idea behind GURPS all the time. Now, I know with Dungeon Fantasy and stuff, you can bump it up a bit and it makes it harder for that to happen. And that has mean they do go adventuring, they still go out. And the thing is, it doesn't stop the players doing adventurous things they don't don't go into the cave where the monsters are and all the rest of it because there's that social contract about you know being involved so i think it's one of those things that you know think about it from your own point of view about what is it in your head that's telling you can't kill player characters or that you can't let player characters die i think there's a distinction there because killing player characters sounds like an, an active thing like you are trying to kill the characters what i think what we'll be talking about here is that allowing the player characters to get themselves killed is probably a better way i think if we go back to that you know play session we talked about where they went into that camp um and the player characters all split off and they got murdered because they didn't run away at the end because they weren't abandoning their friends and all the rest of it that's probably an example where you might feel bad about the fact they all died but at the end of the day you know if you go back to your other rules and stuff about players having so sovereignty over their characters etc you know they had that choice they chose to do that thing. They chose not to run away. And at the end of the day, you know, I think you sort of have to let the players do that. And if they die, they die at the end of the day, you know. It's like you can give them a good few chances to kind of get out of there. You can even like give them little warning hints that maybe it's not a good idea to hang around. And if they choose not to listen to those, that's that's not your fault at the end of the day. So I think that's really what I've got to say on that one. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but I think I'd really challenge it that, you know, I think player character death sometimes is a good thing. Having the fear of the death there is quite good for the player characters to kind of get them to play in that more sort of thought out way and think about the dangers before they go rushing off into combat, etc. And also it does sometimes give that chance for the um, 
the players to change their characters. What I'd say is that if you have anxieties around it, is it worth having those conversations with your players before you start? Is it worth saying to the players, how do you feel about player character death? And if they say, I hate it, I really upset it, it makes me really puts me off a game, et cetera. If they say, yeah, well, well, it doesn't really bother me, then that might hopefully, you know, maybe it will allow you thinking about it and think, well, actually, if they don't care, then I don't need to stress about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's easy to say that. But when we have anxieties around things, knowing something factually and then how it feels in the moment. I know of two very different things, but you know, it's another tool you could put in there having that conversation up front about are we happy that death's a real thing on the agenda, you know, then put it out there basically, I guess, and have the players agree to it. And then you know the player characters and the players still have sovereignty over that because they've agreed to that from the get-go. So you've allowed them to make that decision about whether their characters die or not. Um, and it's not you forcing that death on their characters, if that makes sense. Anyway, like I said, don't know if that's any help whatsoever or if I'm just waffling on, but I thought I'd kind of maybe throw that challenge a little bit out there. So take care, Chase. Speak to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. Thank you to all the callers today. Honestly, without listeners like you calling in and sharing your thoughts, the episode just wouldn't be possible. Thank you. Thanks also to the amazing patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Thank you for your support. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode. Game on.